Section 10 of Understanding Climatic Change. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Understanding Climatic Change. A Program for Action by the U.S. Committee for the Global Atmospheric Research Program. Section 10. Appendix A. Survey of Past Climates. Part 2. Geographic Patterns of Climatic Change While the chronology of certain features of climatic change may be revealed by the analysis of instrumental and paleoclimatic data at individual sites, the geographic pattern of these changes is an equally important characteristic. From what we know of the behavior of the present atmosphere, it would be remarkable if there were not a definite spatial structure to the variations on all climatic times scales, the search for these patterns requires synoptic data for the various climatic elements, and this is presently available only from the records of modern observations and from a few marine proxy sources. Structure revealed by observational data. The task of describing the spatial and temporal structure of climatic variations from the observations of the instrumental era is far from complete. Most studies have therefore focused primarily on local or regional climatic changes. Lamb and Johnson, 1961-1966, have made comprehensive analyses of intrahemispheric and interhemispheric climatic indices, and the statistical structure of these circulation variations has been studied by Willett, 1967, Wagner, 1971, Eudin, 1967, Breyer, 1968, and Kutzbach, 1970. Such analyses, especially of hemispheric pressure data, reveal that the year-to-year -year and decade-to-decade -decade variations have a spatial structure that may be associated with amplitude and phase changes of the long planetary waves in the atmosphere. The essentially two-dimensional character of climate is masked in studies of zonally averaged parameters although these may be useful for other purposes. An example of the importance of both zonal and non-zonal spatial variability of the atmospheric circulation is provided by the first eigenvector pattern, or empirical orthogonal function, of hemispheric pressure for January, shown in figure A16, as well as by the patterns of pressure, temperature and rainfall variability shown in figures A17, A18, and A19. These data suggest an association between the changes in the monthly average intensity and position of the Aleutian and Icelandic lows. For example, during the first two decades of this century, there has been a tendency for decreased intensity and westward extension of the Aleutian low, coupled with an increased intensity and northeastward shift of the Icelandic low. Lamb, 1966, and Namias, 1970, have described important regional changes in temperature and precipitation associated with these circulation changes. The opposite tendency has prevailed since the mid-1950s, and Lamb, 1966, Winstanley, 1973, and Bryson, 1974, have described the possible relationships between the changing mid-latitude circulation patterns of the 1960s, the equatorial shift of the subtropical highs and the increasing frequency of droughts 
along the southern fringes of the monsoon lands of the northern hemisphere see figure a eight these changes appear to reflect an equatorward extension of the westerly wave regime and a contraction of the hadley circulation although much further analysis is clearly required to confirm such a conjecture interhemispheric relationships of climatic indices have been and remain less amenable to study because of the general lack of observations from the southern hemisphere observations are sufficient however to show that the circulation in the southern hemisphere is somewhat stronger and steadier than that in the northern hemisphere whether this results in the southern hemisphere circulation leading that in the northern hemisphere or whether variable features in the equatorial circulation influence both hemispheres similarly is not presently known bjergnes nineteen sixty nine b fletcher nineteen sixty nine lamb nineteen sixty nine namius nineteen seventy two a nineteen seventy two b it is likely that interhemispheric relationships of one sort or another are important for the understanding of climatic variations and that our ability to describe them will require the availability of much more comprehensive data than now exist from the southern hemisphere the equatorial region and the oceanic and polar regions of the northern hemisphere the present accumulation of upper air data especially in the northern hemisphere since the early nineteen fifties however has permitted a beginning of the study of the three-dimensional spatial and temporal variability of the general circulation a foundation of basic statistics is provided by calculations of the means and variances of standard meteorological variables see for example crutcher and meserve nineteen seventy talliard et al nineteen sixty nine and by atlases of energy budgets Bedico, nineteen sixty three the covariance structure of circulation patterns at seven hundred millibars in the northern hemisphere is treated by o'connor nineteen sixty nine and other aspects of the tropospheric circulation have been considered by gommel nineteen sixty three and Waal, nineteen seventy two the most comprehensive analysis of atmospheric circulation statistics however is that based on the period nineteen fifty eight to nineteen sixty three as undertaken by ord and rasmussen nineteen seventy one while this work documents the monthly seasonal and annual variations of many features of the observed general circulation in the northern hemisphere it does not directly address many of the variables of primary climatic interest using the same data set however star and ord nineteen seventy three have reported an unmistakable downward trend of the mean air temperature in the northern hemisphere of zero point six degrees celsius over the five-year interval shown in figure eight twenty diagnostic studies of this type represent great investments of time and effort but are essential steps toward the monitoring of climate and an assessment of the mechanisms of climatic variation a complete description of climatic changes from instrumental records must also include studies of the momentum and energy budgets of the atmosphere and oceans and their variability with time over many years and decades while this must remain largely a task for the future several efforts have established the existence of significant interannual variations in the atmosphere Kruger et al have discussed the interannual variations of available potential energy and Kung and Sung, 1969, have described the fluctuations of the atmospheric kinetic energy budget. As noted previously, 
the interannual variations of poleward angular momentum and energy fluxes has been studied comprehensively by Ord and Rasmussen, 1971. A measure of this variability is shown in figure A21 and amounts to about 30% of the mean transports. The unique global potential of satellite-based measurements has been exploited by von der Haar and Suomi, 1971, who have summarized satellite measurements of planetary albedo and of the planetary radiation budget for the five years 1962 to 1966. They found large interannual variations in the zonally averaged equator to pole gradient of the net radiation as shown in figure A22. This forcing function can now be monitored routinely by meteorological satellites and opens the door to more detailed studies of atmospheric energetics than heretofore possible. Winston, 1969. Von der Haar and Oort, 1973, have combined satellite measurements of the Earth's radiation budget with atmospheric energy transport calculations to produce a new estimate of the poleward energy transport by the northern hemisphere oceans. They find that the oceanic heat transport averages about 40% of the total in the 0 to 70 degrees north latitude band and accounts for more than half at many latitudes. Another example of the use of satellite-derived measurements of climatic indices is given by Kukla and Kukla, 1974. Their measurements of the interannual changes in the area of snow and ice cover in the northern hemisphere are shown in figure A23, and reveal year-to-year -year fluctuations by the order of a few percent. Note, however, the relatively large change during 1971 and the subsequent maintenance of extensive snow and ice coverage and an associated increase of the reflected solar radiation. Time variations of the surface energy budget on a global scale are not available from direct observations and must be inferred from the conventional measurements of temperature, humidity, cloudiness, wind and radiation. Fletcher, 1969, has drawn attention to the variations in the energy budget of polar regions as a function of variable sea ice conditions, while Sawyer, 1964, has noted the possible role of fluctuations in the surface energy budget as a cause of interannual variations of the general circulation itself. A number of observational studies of large-scale interaction between the ocean and the atmosphere have illustrated the complexity and importance of this mechanism. See, for example, Well, 1968, and Lamb and Radcliffe, 1972. Bjergnes, 1969b, has considered the response of the North Pacific westerlies to anomalies of equatorial sea surface temperature and variations in the Hatley circulation, while Nemius, 1969 and 1972b, has described positive feedback relationships between large-scale patterns of ocean surface temperature in mid-latitudes and the circulation of the overlying atmosphere. Such modes of atmosphere-ocean coupling may be important parts of the climatic fluctuations and must be given further study. In summary, we may say that observational data at the Earth's surface show that during the period 1900-1940, the northern hemisphere as a whole warmed, although some areas, mainly the Atlantic sector of the Arctic and northern Siberia, warmed far more than the global average. Some areas became colder, 
and others showed little measurable change. Mitchell, 1963. In the time since 1940, an overall cooling has occurred, but is again characterized by a geographical structure. Cooling since 1958 has occurred in the subtropical arid regions and in the Arctic, Star and Oort, 1973. There is also some evidence that the northern hemisphere oceans are cooling, Namias 1972b, although the oceanic database necessary to confirm this has not yet been assembled. Structure revealed by paleoclimatography. Most of the work done to date on climatic change beyond the time frame encompassed by meteorological observations represents a study of time series taken at specific sites. This lack of synoptic data on the longer range climatic changes is a serious handicap to the portrayal and understanding of the mechanisms involved. In order to underscore these points and to encourage further research, we present here examples of the few proxy data that have been assembled to reveal a spatial structure of climatic change. Distribution of ice sheets The continental margins of the northern hemisphere ice sheets at their maximum extension during the last million years are clearly marked by the debris deposits in terminal moraines, while the extent of sea ice is recorded by features preserved in marine sediments. Figure A24 shows the distribution of maximum ice cover, and Table A2 gives statistics of the areas of the individual continental ice sheets. In North America, the ice extended as far south as 40 degrees north, and spanned the entire width of the continent, while in Europe the ice sheet extended only to about 50 degrees north. Note that large regions in eastern Siberia were unglaciated. Sea surface temperature patterns. The north-south migration of polar waters in the North Atlantic in response to major cycles of glaciation is shown in figure A25. During glacial maxima, these waters were found as far south as 40 degrees north, well beyond the present extent of polar waters. A synoptic analysis of the ocean surface temperatures of 18,000 years ago, at about the time of the last glacial maximum, is shown in figure A26. These temperature estimates have been derived by multivariate statistical techniques applied to planktonic organisms as preserved in about 100 deep-sea cores in scattered locations across the North Atlantic. McIntyre et al., 1974. The most striking feature of this glacial age map is the extensive southward displacement of the 10 to 14 degrees Celsius water, while the warmer water was found in nearly its present position. In parts of the Sargasso Sea, the glacial age ocean was, if anything, slightly warmer than it is today. Because the atmosphere receives much of its heat from the sea, such estimates of sea surface temperature are likely to be important in developing a satisfactory reconstruction of past climates, and it is therefore important to consider their reliability. Berger, 1971, for example, has suggested that carbonate dissolution on the seabed may distort the taxonomic composition of the fossil fauna on which such paleotemperature estimates are based. Kipp, 1974, on the other hand, shows that when the statistical transfer functions are calibrated on materials that incorporate the dissolution effects, an unbiased estimate of such parameters as the sea surface temperature can be obtained. 
the temperature reconstruction in figure A26b is based on the statistics of the foraminiferal fauna distribution and encompasses 91% of the variance of the data. McIntyre, 1974. The 80% confidence interval of each of the cores is about 1.8 degrees Celsius. Kip, 1974. Shackleton and Opdyke, 1973, using a revised isotopic method based on the difference between oxygen-18 values in benthic and planktonic species, have provided an independent confirmation of the sea surface temperature estimates of Imbriatal, 1973, for a portion of the glacial age Caribbean. Other reconstructions of paleo-ocean surface temperatures have been based on data from radiolaria, coccoliths, and foraminifera, and although some discrepancies are revealed where independent data are available, the derived ocean temperatures show considerable spatial coherence, McIntyre, 1974. Such estimates of past sea surface temperature will prove useful in climatic simulations with numerical general circulation models. See Appendix B. Patterns of Vegetation Change Figure A27 illustrates the use of fossil pollen data to record the changes in vegetation accompanying the deglaciation of eastern North America during the interval 11,000 to 9,000 years ago. At the beginning of this time, pine species occupied sites in the southeastern Appalachians, but as the ice retreated, the pine moved farther north and west to colonize newly uncovered areas. A relatively complete chronology of the retreat of the Laurentide ice sheet itself is given by radiocarbon dating. Bryson et al., 1969. Patterns of Aridity For only four desert areas in the world do we have enough information to plot aridity as a function of time, and even in these areas the record extends back only a few tens of thousands of years. As shown in figure 828, the data suggest a degree of synchroneity between the two African regions and the Great Basin, while the records from the Middle East are quite different. None of the data from closed basin lakes show significant correlation with the glacial record, and we are clearly a long way from understanding the response of arid regions to glacial cycles. More generally, insufficient research has been devoted to the role of desert regions in the processes responsible for the climate of the earth. Patterns of tree ring growth Changes of thickness of the growth rings added by trees each year reflect environmental change in a complex way. By appropriate calibration, such data may be made to furnish significant climatic information for the past several hundred to several thousand years. Studies of many tree-ring series over a wide geographic area can, moreover, provide accurately dated synoptic evidence of regional climatic patterns. Fritz, 1965. Fritz et al., 1971, have demonstrated the feasibility of reconstructing the anomalies of sea-level pressure and temperature from the spatial patterns of tree growth over western North America. Examples of such synoptic maps based on average decadal growth are given in figure 829. Although such reconstructions show considerable variation in the year-to-year -year climatic states, the inferred variations in the intensity of Icelandic and Aleutian lows for example, are similar to those described in the modern record, 
Kutzbach, 1970. The development of an expanded network of tree-ring sites could significantly broaden our knowledge of the patterns of climatic fluctuations over the past several centuries. Summary of the Climatic Record In this survey of past climates, the characteristic time and spatial structures of climatic variations have been discussed as though there were sufficient data to document large regions of the globe. This is true only for the more recent parts of the instrumental period, as there are large gaps in the presently available historical and proxy-climatic records. With these limitations in mind, it is nevertheless useful to summarize the general characteristics of the climatic record. 1. The last post-glacial thermal maximum was reached about 6,000 years ago, and climates since then have undergone a gradual cooling. This trend has been interrupted by three shorter periods of more marked cooling, similar to the so-called Little Ice Age of A.D. 1430 to 1850, each followed by a temperature recovery. The well-documented warming trend of global climate beginning in the 1880s and continuing until the 1940s is a continuation of the warming trend that terminated the Little Ice Age. Since the 1940s, mean temperatures have declined and are now nearly halfway back to the 1880 levels. 2. Climatic changes during the past 20,000 years are as severe as any that occurred during the past million years. At the last glacial maximum, extensive areas of the northern hemisphere were covered with continental ice sheets, sea level dropped about 85 meters, and sea surface temperatures in the North Atlantic fell by as much as 10 degrees Celsius. At northern mid-latitude sites not far from the glacial margins, locations now occupied by major cities and extensive agricultural activity, air temperatures fell markedly, drastic changes occurred in the precipitation patterns, and wholesale migrations of animal and plant communities took place. 3. The present interglacial interval, which has now lasted for about 10,000 years, represents a climatic regime that is relatively rare during the past million years, most of which has been occupied by colder glacial regimes. Only during about 8% of the past 700,000 years has the Earth experienced climates as warm as or warmer than the present. 4. The penultimate interglacial age began about 125,000 years ago and lasted for approximately 10,000 years. Similar interglacial ages, each lasting 10,000 plus or minus 2,000 years, and each followed by a glacial maximum, have occurred on the average every 100,000 years during at least the past half million years. During this period, fluctuations of the northern hemisphere ice sheets caused sea level variations of the order of 100 meters. In contrast, the East Antarctic ice sheet has apparently varied little since reaching its present size about 5 million years ago, while the West Antarctic ice sheet appears to have been disintegrating for many thousands of years. 5. About 65 million years ago, global climates were substantially warmer than today, and subsequent changes may be viewed as part of a very long period cooling trend. For even earlier times, the proxy climatic evidence becomes increasingly fragmentary. The best documented records suggest two previous extensive glaciations, 
occurring about three hundred million and six hundred million years ago. Future Climate Some Inferences from Past Behavior The overall picture of past climatic changes described in this survey suggests the existence of a hierarchy of fluctuations that stand out above the white noise or random fluctuations presumed to exist on all timescales. In addition to the dominant period of about 100,000 years, there are apparent quasi-periodic fluctuations with timescales of about 2,500 years, and shorter period fluctuations on the order of 100 to 400 years. Each of these explains progressively less of the total variance, but may nevertheless be climatically significant. No periodic component of climatic change on the order of decades has yet been clearly established, although significant excursions of climate are observed to occur in anomalous groups of years. In view of the limited resolving power of most climatic indicators, especially those for the relatively remote geological past, it is difficult to establish whether the apparent fluctuations are quasi-periodic or whether they more nearly represent what are basically random Markovian red-noise variations. In the case of the longer period variations, of 100,000-year and 20,000-year periods, there is circumstantial evidence to suggest that these may have been induced in some manner by the secular variations of the Earth's orbital elements, which are known to alter the seasonal and latitudinal distribution of solar radiation received at the top of the atmosphere. In other cases, the observed variations have yet to be convincingly related to any external climatic control. The mere existence of such variations does not necessarily mean that changes in the external boundary conditions are involved, however. The internal dynamics of the climatic system itself may well be the origin of some of these features. Whether forced or not, climatic behavior of this type deserves careful study, as the conclusions reached bear directly upon the problem of inferring the future climate. The prediction of climate is clearly an enormously complex problem. Although we have no useful skill in predicting weather beyond a few weeks into the future, we have a compelling need to predict the climate for years, decades, and even centuries ahead. Not only do we have to take into account the complex year-to-year -year changes possibly induced by the internal dynamics of the climatic system, and the likely continuation of the yet unexplained quasi-periodic and episodic fluctuations of the last few thousand years discussed above, but also the changes induced by possibly even less predictable factors, such as the aerosols added to the atmosphere by volcanic eruptions and by man himself. Mitchell, 1973a, 1973b. These questions lie at the heart of the problem of climatic variation and are given consideration elsewhere in this report. In the face of these uncertainties, any projection of the future climate carries a great risk. Nevertheless, we may speculate about the possible course of global climate in the decades and centuries immediately ahead by making certain assumptions about the character of the major fluctuations noted in the climatic record. In the following paragraphs, we attempt to draw together these considerations into an overall assessment of the probable direction and magnitude of present-day climatic change, taking into account the risk of a major future change associated with a seemingly inevitable onset of the next glacial period. 
Potential contribution of sinusoidal fluctuations of various timescales to the rate of change of present-day climate. Estimates of the amplitudes of all the principal climatic fluctuations identified in this report are listed in Table A3, where they have been made consistent with the data presented in Figure A2 and are expressed in terms of the total range of temperature between maxima and minima. On the assumption that all of these fluctuations can be approximated by quasi-periodic sine waves, the ratio of the amplitude A to the period P of each fluctuation becomes proportional to the maximum contribution of that fluctuation to the rate of change of climate. By considering also the face of each fluctuation, as inferred from the paleoclimatic record, the contribution of each fluctuation to the present-day rate of change can be estimated. See Table A3. Estimation of the phase of each sinusoidal fluctuation, indicated by the estimated dates of the last temperature maximum in Table A3, permits an assessment of the sign and magnitude of the contribution of each fluctuation to the total rate of change of globally average temperature in the present epoch. The sum of these individual contributions, minus 0.015 degrees Celsius per year, agrees reasonably well with the observed rate of change of minus 0.01 degrees Celsius per year during the past two decades, as determined from analyses of surface climatological data by Reitan, 1971, and by Budiko, 1969. It should be noted that this trend is dominated by the shortest fluctuations, and especially by the fluctuations of the order of 100 years. See figure A6. The estimated maximum rate of change associated with all time scales of climatic fluctuations shown in figure A2 is plotted as a continuous function of wavelength in figure A30. The family of curves also shown in this figure indicates the relationship between maximum rate of change and wavelength in Markovian red noise for various degrees of redness characterized by the value of the serial correlation coefficient at a time lag of one year, Gilman et al., 1963. By comparison with these curves, it is suggested that the observed shorter period climatic fluctuations, that is, fluctuations of the order of 100 to 200 years, are not clearly distinguishable from random fluctuations, whereas the longer period fluctuations, especially those with periods of 20,000 years or more, may be appreciably larger in amplitude than would be expected in random noise. The contributions of the longer period fluctuations to present-day climatic change are seen, nonetheless, to be relatively small. Should the longer period fluctuations be non-sinusoidal, or episodic, in form, rates of change, perhaps ten times larger than the magnitudes shown in figure A30, could be possible. Even such rates, however, would contribute little over and above the normal interannual variability of present-day global climate, and the cumulative change of climate associated with the longer period fluctuations would remain relatively small until several centuries had elapsed. Despite its simplistic view of climatic change, 
this exercise is an instructive one in that it demonstrates how difficult it would be for longer period sinusoidal fluctuations to contribute substantially to the changes of climate taking place in the twentieth century if the longer period fluctuations are those that primarily determine the course of the glacial interglacial succession of global climate it would seem that the transition to the next glacial period even if it has already commenced will require many centuries to accumulate to a drastic shift from present climatic conditions in assessing such projections however we must keep in mind that our ability to anticipate the locally important synoptic pattern of climatic variations is limited the work of mitchell nineteen sixty three for example has shown that while the northern hemisphere average air temperatures rose only about zero point two degrees celsius during the period nineteen hundred to nineteen forty there were many areas that deviated markedly from this hemispheric average trend parts of the eastern united states for example exhibited a one degree celsius rise in average temperature five times the hemispheric average parts of scandinavia and mexico showed temperature increases of two point zero degrees celsius ten times the hemispheric average while in spitsbergen the warming was five degrees celsius twenty-five times the hemispheric average the corresponding data on other climatic elements are sparse but may be expected to exhibit comparable or even greater spatial variance likelihood of a major deterioration of global climate in the years ahead as noted above the longer period climatic fluctuations seem to be associated with larger amplitudes of change than those consistent with margovian red noise behavior the same cannot be said however of the shorter period fluctuations for the moment let us suppose that all the fluctuations described in this report are actually random fluctuations in the sense that transitions between successive maxima and minima may occur at random poisson distributed intervals of time rather than at more or less regular intervals the probability that one or more transitions of a fluctuation will occur in an arbitrarily specified length of time may then be calculated from the negative binomial distribution following this approach we can assess the risk of encountering a change of climate in the years ahead as rapid as the maximum rate of change otherwise associated with sinusoidal climatic fluctuations on each of the characteristic time scales noted above such a measure of risk for time intervals between one year and one thousand years into the future can be inferred by interpolation between the curves of transition probability in figure a thirty one the proper interpretation of this figure will be apparent from the following examples one the curve labelled one hundred thousand in the figure indicates the probability of a major transition of climate in either direction that is normally associated with climatic fluctuations on the time scale of one hundred thousand years a change of global average temperature of up to perhaps eight degrees celsius in a total time interval of fifty thousand years or less the curve indicates that if successive transitions of this kind recur at random time intervals as assumed here the onset or termination of such a transition will occur in the next one hundred years with a probability of about zero point zero zero two 
and in the next thousand years with a probability of about 0.02. 2. The dashed curve labelled 100 in the figure indicates the probability of one transition of climate, in either direction, that is normally associated with climatic fluctuations on the time scale of 100 years, a change of up to perhaps 0.5 degrees Celsius in a total time interval of about 50 years or less. Such a transition is indicated to have a probability of about 0.02 of occurring in the next year, a probability of about 0.16 of occurring in the next 10 years, and a probability of about 0.35 of occurring in the next 50 years. The solid line labeled 100 in the figure indicates the probability of one or more transitions of the same kind, which rises from about 0.2 in the next 10 years to about 0.8 in the next 100 years. If it can be assumed that the typical duration of such a transition, when it occurs, is not less than four or five decades, and that only one such transition can occur at the same time, then the dashed curve would be the appropriate guide for estimating such probabilities in the next few decades. Otherwise, the solid curve would be a more appropriate guide. When figures A30 and A31 are considered together, it is suggested that whether climatic fluctuations are or are not quasi-periodic, those that are most relevant to the course of global climate in the years and decades immediately ahead are the shorter period, historical fluctuations, and not the longer period, glacial fluctuations. Even if the phase of the longer period changes is such as to contribute to a cooling of present-day climate, the contribution of such fluctuations to the rate of change of present-day climate would seem to be swamped by the much larger contributions of the shorter period, if more ephemeral, historical fluctuations. We must remember, however, that this analysis assumes a simple model of climatic change in which climatic fluctuations of various periods are independent and therefore additive. The paleoclimatic record presented here does not preclude the possibility that relatively sudden climatic changes could arise through interactions between fluctuations of different periods. One may still ask the question, when will the present interglacial end? Few paleoclimatologists would dispute that the prominent warm periods, or interglacials, that have followed each of the terminations of the major glaciations have had durations of 10,000 plus or minus 2,000 years. In each case, a period of considerably colder climate has followed immediately after the interglacial interval. Since about 10,000 years has elapsed since the onset of the present period of prominent warmth, the question naturally arises as to whether we are indeed on the brink of a period of colder climate. Kukla and Matthews, 1972, have already called attention to such a possibility. There seems little doubt that the present period of unusual warmth will eventually give way to a time of colder climate, but there is no consensus with regard to either the magnitude or rapidity of the transition. The onset of this climatic decline could be several thousand years in the future, although there is a finite probability that a serious worldwide cooling could befall the Earth within the next hundred years. What is the nature of the climatic changes accompanying the end of a period of interglacial warmth. 
from studies of sediments and soils kukla finds that major changes in vegetation occurred at the end of the previous interglacial figure a fourteen the deciduous forests that covered areas during the major glaciations were replaced by sparse shrubs and dust blew freely about the climate was considerably more continental than at present and the agricultural productivity would have been marginal at best the stratification of fossil pollen deposits in eastern macedonia figure a thirteen also clearly shows a marked change in vegetative cover between interglacial warmth and the following cold periods the oak pine forest that existed in the area gave way to a steppe shrub and grass was the dominant plant cover other evidence from deep sea cores reveals a substantial change in the surface water temperature in the north atlantic between interglacial and glacial periods figure a thirteen and the marine sediment data show that the magnitude of the characteristically abrupt glacial cooling was approximately half the total glacial to interglacial change itself the question remains unresolved if the end of the interglacial is episodic in character we are moving toward a rather sudden climatic change of unknown timing although as each one hundred years passes we have perhaps a five percent greater chance of encountering its onset if on the other hand these changes are more sinusoidal in character then the climate should decline gradually over a period of thousands of years these are the limits that we can presently place on the nature of this transition from the evidence contained in the paleoclimatic record these climatic projections however could be replaced with quite different future climatic scenarios due to man's inadvertent interference with the otherwise natural variation mitchell 1973a this aspect of climatic change has recently received increased attention as evidenced by the smic report wilson 1971 a leading anthropogenic effect is the enrichment of the atmospheric co2 content by the combustion of fossil fuels which has been rising about four percent per year since 1910 there is evidence that the ocean's uptake of much of this co2 is diminishing keeling et al 1974 which raises the possibility of even greater future atmospheric concentrations man's activities are also contaminating the atmosphere with aerosols and releasing waste heat into the atmosphere either or both of which may have important climatic consequences mitchell 1973b such effects may combine to offset a future natural cooling trend or to enhance a natural warming this situation serves to illustrate the uncertainty introduced into the problem of future climatic changes by the interference of man and is occurring before adequate knowledge of the natural variations themselves has been obtained again the clear need is for greatly increased research on both the nature and causes of climatic variation. End of section 10